0: does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is doing what she does best. As a young girl, She was scolded for talking too much to her neighbors in class. After years of trying to be quiet, she discovered that speaking up about taboo topics is her strength. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. She is a wealth psychology expert who has helped thousands of advisors and clients communicate more effectively about money. Now listen to Kathleen as she assists today's guest in busting their favorite money myth wide open.
1: I am thrilled to have my guest Adrienne Penta today, the executive director for the Center for Women and Wealth at Brown Brothers Harriman. Adrienne and I have known each other for a while now, and I always enjoy having a conversation with her, talking a little bit about her work at Women and Wealth, and certainly uh, busting some of the money myths around gender wide open. So I'm excited today that she is here to join the Breaking Money Silence podcast. Let me tell you a little bit about Adrienne before. I welcome her officially uh, to our call today. Adrienne Penta is truly a Breaking Money Silence revolutionary. She is somebody who, like I said, is the executive director at Brown Brothers and Harriman. Um, She is... Uh, passionate about helping advisors and the women they serve engage in the creation of integrated holistic wealth plans that help them accomplish their goals. In other words, she truly understands what female clients want, how to help advisors work with women and women in partnerships and women in families. And the center for women and wealth really seeks to create a dynamic and exclusive environment where women can engage in these conversations about wealth Family and leadership. So she is a breaking money silence revolutionary. Um, please welcome Adrian to our podcast today. Adrian, how are you this afternoon? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm so glad we can uh, spend some time today on the Breaking Money Silence podcast and bust a myth wide open. Uh, and for this particular podcast, you picked a myth that's near and dear to my heart. Which is women have lower financial IQ than men. So, why don't you tell me and the people who are listening in a little bit about what motivated you to pick that myth? Sure.
2: Um, I think that there is, I think that this myth exists out there, both probably between um, in families and also between um, clients and their advisors, their financial advisors, that women don't have the same level of financial know how or Sophistication that men do when it comes to investing and in financial decision making. And it's boldly not true. Men and women in the United States have roughly the same level of financial literacy. And there's been um, a couple pieces of data and studies that have been done about this showing that it's within a couple percentage points, men and women, in terms of financial know-how, financial literacy. So women and men basically have the same level of understanding of financial decision-making and investing, whereas oftentimes we assume that they don't.
1: So where do you think that this myth originated? So I think
2: often men tend to take the reins when it comes to making investing decisions or maybe even just leading those conversations. And I've certainly seen it in my work with clients where you have um, men in the room who who often think or feel as if they have a level of of financial sophistication that maybe they do, but sometimes they don't. Um, but they feel that they're expected to have that level of financial know-how, and so they they take on that role in a meeting and they say, "Oh, sure, I know what you're talking about when it comes to making a specific investment or talking about the market or economic conditions generally," because we expect men to understand those things. So, you know, like women, I think sometimes we put them in a box. We also, I think, pigeonhole men and we expect them to have a certain level of financial sophistication, and sometimes they don't. So I think it's harmful um, to everyone and to families um, when we make assumptions about um, who understands and who may not understand, because you, um, everybody has, a, has their own personal perspective and level of understanding when it comes to these conversations, and we just can't generalize.
1: I really agree with you. In my book, Breaking Money Silence, one of the things I talk about uh, is the myth that all men are financially literate and somehow women aren't, and uh, how these gender myths really get in the way of uh, good communication between partners, family members, and advisors. So it sounds like, you know, you have a similar thought as to how these myth, this particular myth might have originated. Now, I'm wondering, because usually with a myth, sometimes it, it helps us out in the short run and then gets in the way in the long run. Do you have any idea about how women or men who buy into this myth, how it might be helpful to them to believe that somehow women have a lower financial IQ than men? Mm. You know,
2: I think for advisors, and I guess I'll speak for my field, um, we make feel more comfortable when we walk into a client situation when we, when we make certain assumptions about how our clients are going to act or how they're going to perceive us or the advice we're giving them. I think we try to, I think in all areas of our lives, not just in how we serve our clients, as human beings, we try to compartmentalize things and make them um, draw similarities between them so we can put them in certain categories or boxes and, and make life that's complicated and messy easier to understand. That's why we all make assumptions. That's where bias comes from. So I think that oftentimes when we walk into a room with a client, we make these assumptions because it makes us more comfortable. It makes us be able to understand the situation and deliver, deliver advice. But it often undermines the confidence and trust that our clients have in us when we make assumptions about what they know, both if they know maybe more or they know less than we're assuming they know. You know, oftentimes our female clients don't correct our misunderstanding that they are sophisticated investors because women do underestimate what they know about financial decision-making. We know from studies that there is a confidence gap when it comes to women in financial decision-making. And the more women know, the less they give themselves credit for. So the more sophisticated women are, the more graduate degrees they have. The more sophisticated they are in other parts of their lives and their professions, they often underestimate to a greater degree what they understand about the markets, the economy, and finances. So oftentimes they won't correct the misunderstandings that advisors have.
1: It's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it, it's, it's interesting because it leads to this disconnect between women, their partners, their advisors – And I know that women are socialized sometimes to show their vulnerability or to say what they're not good at as a way of connecting uh, with another person. Whereas men are socialized to sometimes act overconfident or act as if. And it seems like these gender stereotypes, whether it's around women or men or how they are supposed to appear in front of other people, is the thing that often makes it difficult for us to move the needle forward in terms of the financial literacy crisis in this country.
2: I think you're absolutely right, Kathleen. And I think that the bottom line here is that we all need to check the assumptions we make, whether we're working with our own families around financial decision-making, our own spouses, or whether we're working with clients as advisors, because the bias that we bring into those conversations or the assumptions that we make about the folks in the room really don't serve us well. We should start from a position of real curiosity about um, what do you know? What do you want to know? What are the questions you have? How can I help you? What can I bring to the conversation versus coming into the conversation as an expert and ready to teach, um, ready to give information only as a way to add value? So that's one of the things that we've, we've spent a lot of time on here um, at Brown Brothers, specifically with the Center for Women and Wealth, is how do we change our mindset of as advisors to a real... Um, a place of curiosity, a place of how can I help versus um, wearing our expert hat all the time and saying, hey, I've seen this a million times before, or let me give you all the information that I have about about investing or the economy or planning or or whatever it may be.
1: So I think that's a great tip for an advisor and certainly important for women and men who are working with advisors to know. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about women who are listening in Uh, who may buy into the myth that, oh, you know what, I I just am not going to be as skilled around money as my male partner or my Mm -hmm. father or my brother. Do you have any thoughts about how they can bust this myth wide open in their lives? So I
2: think the first place is to know that, generally speaking, men and women have the same level of financial understanding. That's what the data shows us. Studies have been done where they ask men and women the same questions, basic questions about the economy and the markets. And it shows that men and women have basically the same understanding of those subject matters. So that's the first thing, knowing that you are actually pretty much in the middle of the pack with everybody else, men or women, uh, and that your, your financial understanding probably not well below average. I think the second thing that you can do in your own specific family or your own specific conversation, whether you're having it with an advisor or a friend or um, your husband or your wife, is to to ask questions and to be inquisitive and to say, "Hey, I don't I don't know what a benchmark means. Do you know what that means?" And I think more often than not, you know, when you have a question about uh, a financial term, you know, all this jargon that our that our industry uses. More often than not, folks around you aren't going to understand those terms either. And I think you can really you can take it as an opportunity to learn together rather than having to care who knows more and who's coming to the table with more information.
1: I think those are great tips. Now, for men uh, who are in these meetings, maybe with their wives or their daughters, mm-hmm. any thoughts about how men can bust this myth uh, open or how men can... <laughs> start to look at their own relationship with money and and be able to say, hey, you know, maybe I could learn more about finance, even though I'm supposed to act as if I know everything, you know, what advice would you give the men?
2: Yeah, you know, I'd say I think there's a lot of opportunity there because as we started the conversation, I think that we also put men in boxes and we don't allow them to air their questions and to be inquisitive and to to put their lack of knowledge on the table sometimes. So as advisors, I think we can serve all of our clients well by allowing them to ask questions, to create the space for that type of conversation, to say something like, hey, I know I used some terms that may not be familiar to you. Um, how How about I define those terms for you? Or do you have any questions about that? Or let's stop there and review what I've said. So that you're not singling out anybody around the table, men or women, uh, for their lack of understanding, but you're really just allowing space for questions to come very naturally to the surface and not making anybody feel um, badly for for asking them. And I think that men can benefit from the same information that women can in terms of we all basically have an average understanding of financial markets for those of us who are not in this industry. And... Asking a question is probably a gift to everybody else in the room as well. If you don't understand what your advisor is trying to convey to you, chances are the other people at the table don't either, whether it's your children or your parents or your your spouse or your you know, other, other folks that may be sitting at the table alongside you. So asking a question often opens up a very good conversation. So I'd encourage both men and women to slow the conversation down and to really understand the basics before they allow the conversation to get too much further along.
1: So, you know, what I'm hearing is advisors need to be more curious. Clients need to definitely speak up if they're working with an advisor and, and stop him or her if they need a further explanation. Uh, or are not understanding something. And so, you know, overall, I guess this really lends itself to just being more collaborative when we're engaging in financial conversations. Um, I know your work uh, at the firm and at the Women and Wealth Center really is towards empowering women and the advisors that serve them. Can you talk a little bit more about how uh, your particular firm might be collaborative in meeting with women Mm -hmm. and with families?
2: Mm -hmm. So for sure, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Um, The Brown Brothers Harriman Center for Women and Wealth is really focused on supporting and engaging women, both as they create wealth and then manage it for themselves and their families. And we feel very strongly that women have to be at the table and have to be part of the conversation. We know from our experience that when families come together to make financial decisions, that they make better decisions that are more viable for for the long term, when All of the stakeholders are at the table, not just the patriarch or the matriarch, but really everybody comes together for the conversation. It's the same thing that we see in the corporate context when we talk about diverse teams create better outcomes. It's the same thing with families. When you have diverse perspectives around the table, you actually have a better outcome long term for the family that is going to be more sustainable and is actually going to be to further success. So we really feel strongly and we talk to our clients all the time about making sure that everybody's represented, that you have the husband and the wife and adult children and other decision makers who may influence, whether it be an estate planning decision, charitable giving or financial planning decision. So I think that's one of the ways that we really emphasize that this process has to be collaborative. This decision has to be collaborative. And then the other part of it is we have to be collaborative and we have to check our assumptions at the door, right? We have to make sure that we aren't imposing our own understanding of our family members or advisors for their clients um, on the situation. And we do come to it with a blank piece of paper. And we really do ask the most basic questions to set the stage rather than assuming that our clients care about investing or assuming that our clients don't want to talk about charitable giving or whatever whatever it may be. But we really do be very intentional about asking questions and making sure that we're addressing the needs that exist rather than the ones that we imagine.
1: So I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm listening to this podcast right now and maybe I am a husband of somebody who really wants his uh, wife or partner more involved in the process, or I'm a wife who, you know, maybe is a little reluctant, but but thinks maybe I should be more involved in the process. You know, what advice do you have for encouraging that other person in your family to step up and participate in the collaborative process? Because often I hear, you know, maybe intellectually we get that. That sounds great, but then, you know, getting everybody in the same room is a little challenging.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: I think there are two things. I think the first is you have to create an environment that's going to be welcoming to that other person. And it's possible that there is a confidence gap here, that, that that other spouse that's not involved feels as if they don't know as much or feels as if they don't have a relationship with the advisor or feels that there is not their subject matter. So you have to be think, open to creating an environment that that other person's going to be willing to step into. So sometimes when we have a spouse that's not involved, you know, I've done this many times with um, women who are not involved in the conversation. I'll say, hey, you don't have to come in Brown Brothers and put on your black suit and have a conversation about investing. Why don't we just have lunch or why don't we have a cup of coffee? Why don't we talk about what you're interested in? So I think that there can be a number of steps to getting to full involvement. Have to, You have to take small steps in the right direction and create a welcoming environment that that person is willingly going to step into and doesn't feel like they're going to the dentist to get a cavity filled. So that's the, first, that's the first part of it. In addition to making it easy for that person to come to the table, second part of it is I think you need to connect it to a larger purpose, to something that they are interested in. Perhaps they're not interested in tax planning or investment planning or financial planning, which is okay, but they probably are interested in... Thinking about how they can live the rest of their lives, what kind of lifestyle their money can support, or uh, how to support a charitable legacy, or how to care for their children or aging parents or grandchildren. So, if you can connect the conversation about finances to a bigger, more important subject matter for that person, I think you're more likely to get them to come to the table. Something we say often is money is simply a means to an end. Money is not something that we that we take care of and we um, think about just for the sake of money. It's because it enables us to do other things. So if you can connect it to that end, I think you're more likely to get somebody who's reticent to the table to talk about financial planning and investing.
1: I absolutely agree. And I think uh, more and more, even if you're thinking about not just an advisor reaching out to a client, but if you're thinking about, Hey, I really want my partner to talk more about money with me or at least, you know, sit down and talk about the taxes, even though it's not an exciting topic. <laughs> think about, you know, what would bridge that gap. What part of tax planning they might this, you know, my partner be interested in. And, you know, maybe it's just, hey, if we get, you know, money back, this is what we can spend the money on, or we can save the money. Um, so really trying to, to meet the other person where they're at, I think is such great advice. And Um, The Center of Women and Wealth has a wonderful publication. Uh, It's something that I read each month or each quarter when I get it, and they have some great stats in it. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about that magazine and also if it's available for everyone or if there's a way in which they can get a sample copy, something like that? I, I just think it's a great resource.
2: Thanks, Kathleen. And it is available to everybody. And we welcome all of your readers to go online and check it out. It's available digitally at, um, on our website at www.bbh.com slash women and wealth and find all the back issues there as well. And if you'd like a hard copy, an actual paper copy, as many do, you can sign up to receive it in hard copy on our website as well. And that publication is really focused on a lot of what we just talked about today, uh, which is conversations at the intersection of family wealth and values. And we are strong believers in we don't talk about money for the sake of money. It's because it's part of this more dynamic, holistic conversation that really impacts the way we plan for the future, the way we live, the way we talk to our children about money, and all of the values that underline those decisions and conversations. So a lot of the content that we put out in our magazine is about those really rich conversations about wealth and about how we use it and about how we earn it and build it that um, is not is not one dimensional. It's very multidimensional.
1: Yes, and I encourage everybody to check that out. We definitely will put a link in the podcast write up so you can go right Uh, to that particular page and check out the articles in the magazine. Like I said, I really enjoy it each month. And thank you so much, Adrian, for taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to help us bust the myth wide open that women have lower financial IQ than men. Uh, What my key takeaway is, is that in this country, a lot of us struggle with uh, having greater financial knowledge and being curious and asking questions and engaging a thoughtful advisor advisor in the process would really uh, make a lot of sense. So thank you so much for your time.
0: Thanks, Kathleen. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard, then check out more podcasts at BreakingMoneySilence.com or subscribe on iTunes.com. Need a fun, engaging speaker for your next event? Go to kbkwealthconnection.com and find out how to book Kathleen today. Be sure to share today's show so together we can break money silence
1: for good.